In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about our major takeaways from the Sixers two game set with the Orlando Magic. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We are here recording on Thursday after the invigorating two-game set against the Orlando Magic, which the Sixers split thanks to a Why are you going to the Magic like that? What are you, what's going on? You know what? It actually was pretty irritating. I, when I was looking at the schedule coming up, I'm like, man, the only time we really get two like back-to-back sets is against Detroit and Orlando. And it's like, can't we get something a little more entertaining? But to be honest, that was that was a pretty good set. The Magic are a pretty entertaining, certainly more entertaining than their uh, record would suggest. I think they're... On Wednesday night, we maybe saw a little bit why, for as entertaining as they can be, they're still just 20 and 32. Uh, they cannot shoot straight all the time. And that night, they were 6 for 38. Certainly played a factor into that loss for them. But they, they probably deserved more than I gave them to start. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think they've they figured some things out. They're super long and athletic. Yep. Markel Fultz is making freaking free throws now, which is yeah. crazy. I mean... Who would have thought that the Chick-fil-A challenge, I mean, that had no chance against Markel no. Fultz. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. he was very Claxton, good. That's a, Nick Claxton's a threat. Markel Fultz was not. No, Nick Claxton. I mean, Markel Fultz at least shoots it straight. So, yeah, I just they think. They didn't even get uh, any for Nick, did they? The Nets came in with Claxton and Simmons, and we didn't get any Chick-fil-A out of it. I, I don't think we did, which was impressive, because Nick Claxton mix, misses, and yeah. of course we're starting a, a, a Magic podcast, uh, a Sixers Magic podcast with some thoughts on the Met, Nets game a couple weeks ago. Nick Claxton misses right and left. Yeah. If you're missing right and left, you got no shot. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's a tough thing. Anyway, Magic. The, the other thing, I mean, they, they have Boncaro, really like him. They have Wagner, who, as we discussed last night, I, I completely forgot that the Bulls gave, basically gave him to Orlando via that Vooch trade. And it, it made me think, man, like, I do not know pick protections and kind of these trades like I used to. If that was 2016, I would have known in five seconds, oh, yeah, Vucevic trade, just because the Sixers were swimming at that end of the pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The shallow or deep end, depending on how you want to describe it. Now I got no idea, and I'm thinking, man, I mean, Franz Wagner, very nice little player there. And basically, I, I guess my other thought on them, before I let you say whatever, is uh, I would really like that team to get Wemby. That I'm yeah. going to be a pretty big dick about like which team gets Wemby and which team deserves him. Like, don't want Detroit, don't want a bunch of other teams for, for a bunch of reasons. Orlando, I would be perfectly yep. happy with, and frankly, I think... I don't know if it's the best situation he could go to. You know, it would, it's already a pretty long team, but I certainly think that team would be uh, a lot of fun with him on on it. Yeah. So. yeah, they've got a lot of young players they can trade. They've got most or all of their picks. I'm not 100% sure. They think they've got some extra picks coming in. Don't they have one more uh, coming in there from Chicago? Sort of reiterating yeah, the conversation four protected. that me, you, Kyle, uh, and a couple other people were having there in the press room last night. Uh, no, they're a young, interesting team. They are still missing a player or two on offense who can really be that sort of piece that gets them all, makes all the other pieces fit. But defensively, they can fly around. Uh, they can certainly use their size, athleticism, speed to cause some problems. They did that against the Sixers. 
Uh, for two straight nights, 18 turnovers there in that second game, even in the Sixers win. Not all of them were related to their to Orlando. Like there were definitely some unforced turnovers from James Harden's spot. He had seven. Some of them, though, like they were bad and stupid passes, but they were also passes that Orlando was able to capitalize because they can cover up a lot of ground. Uh, but certainly some of them were unforced. But they were a, a fun team. And the Sixers, once again, you know, I think Orlando cut it to one point there in the fourth quarter before the Sixers really, you know, pulled away. The Sixers very easily could have dropped both. They could have won both of those games as well. They're up 21 points in the first half in that first meeting. Uh, but I guess what was your overall sort of takeaway here in the split? I think my takeaway, you know, and again, it was a couple of weird games. You know, last night's game was a slog throughout. The first game was classic Sixers get up by 20 points and just start, as you have said, they F around, which yeah. might, like, do they ever not F around when that happens? No. They are awful at that. I mean, that team was begging to get smoked with their offense. And uh, as you were right to tweet out, they uh, they found out. Um, my biggest takeaway is that the Sixers struggle with these long and athletic young teams. Yeah. It's it's almost like that Rockets game. The Rockets who stink yeah. but at least crash the offensive glass and play, you know, with some athleticism. Like you can see from time to time that gives the Sixers some issues. Um do, and, do playoff teams tend to be slow and unathletic? Um no, no, they they, they don't. I, I guess outside of a team like Boston though, I do think they're, the Sixers have more of an issue with these reckless, unathletic teams than some others. I, I don't, yeah. you know, I think everybody outside of Embiid, it's just, I don't know. And maybe I'm being a prisoner of the moment and just, you know, extrapolating from a couple of games here. And I mean, it's not like the Sixers did everything wrong offensively. No. Like when they were able to get a shot up, like they got 35 threes, they made 40% of them. Uh, their struggle was not getting shots on the rim. I, yeah. And I thought their shot quality, I don't have the, the numbers in front of me. I thought that, and I never really have the numbers in front of me. That's like, what, isn't that a second spectrum or, yeah. or whatever? So, okay. So I never have those numbers. Synergy has a, a variation of it as well. Okay. Well, I have to look into that because usually I just look at the, the possessions and the uh, isolation numbers. It felt like the shots the Sixers got were pretty good last night. So for them shooting above 40%, good shooting team did not feel like a fluke. Now the magic shot, what was it like 15% from beyond the arc? So that's like, <laughs> yeah. that's your yeah. game right there. But uh, look, they, they struggle a little bit with those teams. I, I like that on a night where they got a lot of really bad, clunky performances. Maxi, awful. Melton, awful. George was okay. I mean, his plus minus was good. So I, I'd actually give him a little bit of credit, but not shooting the, uh, the eyes out of like the basketball. One for, for six, was it from yeah. three? Yeah. And I think he was a tied with Embiid for a, a plus 17 on the night. And I do think George did some okay things in terms of moving the ball and, and getting the Sixers good shots, which is why he was in at the end of the game. I mean, PJ just foul trouble against Boncaro, who should be a matchup that he, you know, they, they need him for. So, so a lot of rough performances. What I took away, and I actually wrote about this today, is that I liked that on defense, Joel Embiid did something he doesn't normally do all that much, and he did it well. And on offense, James Harden did something he doesn't normally do, and he did it and he did it pretty well. So, you know, like we are talking before the all-star selections tonight. Joel, even though he said when, when he got asked, hey, uh, what do you think about the all-star selections tomorrow? And he says, I don't know if I'm going to be an all-star. 
Uh, he knows he's going to be an all-star. He does. Uh, Speaking of which, Joel just named Eastern Conference Player of the Month for January. He's won two in a row now. Uh, the other guy who won in the Western Conference, you may have heard of him, uh, Nikola Jokic. I wonder if those two could be uh, in the race for any other awards coming down the stretch. We will see. It's too bad Joel couldn't have won NBA Player of the Month because I, I looked <laughs> at their stats. I, you know, in the head-to-head, yeah, I think uh, I think he's got that award. I think he's uh, he's Mr. January at least for uh, for this year. I think Harden has a really good chance of making it. He said after last night's game, like my numbers are there. His numbers are there, and. Yeah. No, like we said a, a previous pod, uh, the only reason he would not be is games missed, and I think he's played enough. I think he's played enough at this point too, and there, there's a lot of other guys. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens there. I mean, they they get there because you know James Harden is Mister Sit, you know, is like leading the league in assists on a per game basis. I don't know if he's qualified yet, but he is, and he makes a bunch of step back threes. He makes three catch and shoot threes in that game, including a big one at the end where you could tell Embiid draws two at the nail and he throws it to him and Embiid was fired up after he made that one. It was like, and there's a little bit, have you noticed there's a little bit of like, finally, man, like, come on. Like this is too, too long for this to happen. Do you you Uh, know what he's shooting on catch and shoot threes this year? I do. Cause I had it in in the column. Did uh, did we both include the same? Okay. It's around 44%. I believe it is. It's 49. Oh, 49 now. Okay. He leads the team in, in catch-and-shoot percentage. It's low volume. It's like two per game because, you know, he's still trying to get there. And also, he tends to have the ball a little bit, but it's it's very, very good. That, that's per uh, that's per NBA.com. So there might be mm-hmm. other, you know, things like Synergy might have him at something slightly different. But per NBA.com, he has 49%. He's been good. And usually, as we note on Press Row, most of those catch-and-shoot threes happen after a very specific action. When the Sixers get an offensive rebound, somebody throws the ball out to him outside. For some reason, he feels confident then. But last night, he made a couple where they drove it and kicked. and beat on one, Tobias Harris on another one. That's really important, you know? I, I think, uh, you know, Embiid, who's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, he needs Harden to be comfortable. And it's like you just said. Harden is good at these. He looked good shooting these. Like, it doesn't look weird. I think at the beginning of his Sixers career, he had had so much Houston brain and James Ball in his head. He was dribbling through his legs all yeah. the time. No, he's a normal basketball player now, for the most part, where it looks good. So he needs to do it more. So that I think that was a positive sign for him on the offensive end. Yeah. And uh, the other takeaway you're talking about is Joel Embiid switching a lot more. Pretty much anything that involved Boncaro and Wagner, the Sixers switched that in the second half. And both of those players uh, for the Magic had off nights. Uh, Boncaro ended up with 13 points on 5 for 18 shooting. And Wagner ended up with 13 points on 6 for 15 shooting. And they combined for just 1 for 13 from 3-point range. Uh, and that struggles from the perimeter certainly helped. Joelmi joked after the game that uh, Wagner did not score against him. <laughs> Technically, I think that was not true. I think Second Spectrum counted one basket against Joel Embiid for Wagner. Uh, but he gave the young player props. He gave him props for continuing to go at him and for his competitiveness. It it was a nice little statement from him. Yeah, he he seemed genuinely like a little bit in like an "oh, that's cute" kind of way, but he seemed genuinely like like I like that kid. Like he's he's a good, talented player, and I like his attitude. It seemed pretty genuine. And I think that's how the Sixers felt about that team. It was like I like <laughs> that team, where you know they're not as good as us now, but they gave us a lot of problems. They're very competitive. Yeah, so he was. Uh, 
yeah, the Sixers, they, they switched three through five and, and Joel was up to the challenge. Like that's not what he's normally good at. And Joel will tell you that as well. Like he'll, he'll say, look, I, I need to be in drop coverage. Most times I need to be around the rim. That is where statistically I make the big, biggest impact. That is where I don't have to run around like a madman in regular yeah. season games when I'm scoring 35 points a game on the other end. And uh, for the most part, you stick him there, even if it gets a little bit frustrating when, you know, bubble Kemba Walker's popping threes. Yeah, man, that yep. seems like a long time ago, but whatever, you know, guards are and wings are popping threes. Uh, the, the magic they had, their only offense really was a pick and pop with, you know, Fogner and Boncaro kind of running the, the pick and roll and, you know, a bad three point shooter, but somebody who was wide open if the Sixers were in drop. So they decided to challenge those guys one-on-one and Joel did a great job. Yeah. And Trez in the second half did a pretty acceptable job just in that one-on-one matchup. Um, he had all kinds of mistakes, especially in the first half uh, where he would fall asleep. He had one where he was trying to deny someone like 30 feet from the basket and you went back and you watched it and you said, how do you think this was going to end up? How How is this going to work out in your favor? There was that one miscommunication in the third quarter between him and Thibel, and that one was strictly on Thibel's part. And I didn't see it live. I just saw... Trez respond and sort of like clap at Thibel, but then he went back and he watched it. And before, you know, as the play was unfolding, he was signaling to Thibel. He was yelling at Thibel and Thibel just kind of like ran through a stop sign at third base. Uh, they <laughs> went back and sort of had that exact same thing happen to them a couple positions later and they got it right and they got it worked out. But I thought Trez held up pretty well just in terms of, you know, keeping Wagner off, you know, just putting a body on him and moving his feet in a way that Trez doesn't usually do all that well. Um, so I give him a little bit of credit bouncing back in that second half because part of that run came, uh, you know, came with him beat on the bench early in the fourth quarter and they held up pretty well. And I, it's weird giving Trez defensive props, but I thought he did a reasonable job in the second half after a pretty disastrous first half. He grabbed a couple rebounds too, which was, was nice. I'm just, I just have the picture of Thibel in my head of a, uh, of Thibel as the as a baseball player, just running through stop signs at every possible. He, he, he plays a little bit like Victorino. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, Victorino, one of my all time favorites. Yeah. He's, he's one of my all time favorites because after uh, you know, in interviews and press conferences, his verbal crutch, like like mine, is um and like his was very unique to him. His was <laughs> no questions asked. <laughs> That's what it was every time. No questions asked. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, Thibel just trying to score from first on a single would be a, a very funny kind of. It seems like something he would do. Yeah, yeah. He'd be he'd be that slap hitter who also didn't walk but tried to be overly aggressive on the on the bases. That's Thibel. Matisse Thibel is drawing interest around the league now. Yeah, reportedly, we'll see. We have the uh, the trade deadline coming up in exactly a week. A little light on the rumor front, but we will have more time to get there. Have been some rumors there about Thibel not now not being untouchable. I'd question whether he was actually ever untouchable. A player like Matisse Thibel is never untouchable. Just gets reported that way because of leverage. But outside of that, the rumor has been pretty quiet. It's pretty much been Thibel or ducking the tax. Those two are not necessarily mutually exclusive. We will see what, what the Sixers end up doing, but we'll have more on that in a future podcast. Offensively, Joel, oh, go ahead. I do think that, yeah, and I don't want to get into too much. I, I do think we have an interesting discussion to be had about Thibel and what they do with him yeah. this year. Yeah, that's all. And yeah. so it's a little preview for the Saturday or the, the Monday pod, whatever we do. I agree. I agree. 
Um, all right, going back to Embiid, ended up the night with 28 points on 9 for 17 shooting. Had 20 of those 28 points in the first half when he was obliterating Orlando's front court. Played a little more of a setup man role down the stretch. What did you think of his overall game? I thought it was a throwback game, in a sense. And the, and the reason why was in the first quarter, my God, how many post-ups was that in a row? That was crazy. The guy who's been you know, railing against post-ups, and I got to be at the elbow, and I see the court better. Man, he, towards the end of that quarter, against Mo Wagner, who is, I think Mo yeah. Wagner's up there with his, like, top nemesis. Yeah. Nemeses. Not in well, a, like, Mo Wagner could stop him way, but right. Mo Wagner flops every amp- time. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the one where he was, like, practically in the uh, stands? It was like watching The Matrix. Yeah, it was... <laughs> yeah. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. It was like the guys running up the walls, flying back in, in midair. I remember too, the funny thing was I made a note of the play in my, uh, you know, on my computer. So I take my eyes down for a second. And then I realized after it was over, I was like, wait, why is Mo Wagner <laughs> sitting in front of the Sixers bench? He started on the yeah. left block on that play. I think when the foul was committed, that was something. I will give Mo Wagner credit though. In the game that he the can- Sixers <laughs> lost, he got Joel First off, he scored on him a couple of times, but he got Joel for an offensive foul, and Joel had five fouls. At the end of that game, I, I really think he got into Joe's head where he was just like, Joe was like, oh my God, if I if I drive, he's going to flop and he's going to get yeah. the call. And it was, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it was it was a, a little bit of a of, of a mind F by, uh, by Mo Wagner where I think 25 times in his career that hasn't worked out. Yeah, he might have drawn an offensive foul on Joel, but Joel scores on him with ease, with pleasure, with all of those things. But I think he got to him a little bit. And Joel said, like, at, after the game, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He's like, yeah, I mean, when you're playing a guy who flops every time. So, you know, I think he has a little more respect for one of the Wagner brothers than the, <laughs> the other one. But but yeah. who's the say? <laughs> yeah, who's the say? Um, one of them yeah, is a, a throwback player, too. Yeah. It was a throwback game for Joe, though. It felt like... I don't know. It, it felt like a 2019 good game yeah, for him. A bully ball Brett era game. Yeah. yeah. And 28 he, points, right? Yep. You know, bully ball, really good defense. Uh, plus 17 when the, the bench unit just stunk without him, was good yeah, with him. You know, it just felt like a lot of ways where he was very good. And I thought, I thought he played overall a very good game, but not in the, I'm just going to smoke you for the mid range and just be this yeah. seven foot two Kobe Bryant. You know, it, it wasn't like we've seen for most of this season. That's all. Yeah. And I thought down the stretch, you know, he, he didn't, I don't know how many he had in the fourth quarter. Like I said, he had eight in the second half. I thought he created a lot of really good shots for his teammates. Not all of them went in because you had, you know, Melton and Tyrese. And although Tyrese made a big one down the stretch and George, who didn't really shoot all that well, but I thought the Sixers got pretty good looks. I thought he was center for a lot of it. Uh, he was pretty dominant there in the first half in a throwback kind of way. And between Wendell Carter and Wagner, and they just do not have the size to match up with him like that. And I thought he asserted himself pretty well. Overall, a good game for Joe. I, I guess going back to the to Monday's game, any long-term concerns there or just something that happens over the course of a season? It really did feel like maybe they weren't partying the night before from the <laughs> NFC Championship game. <laughs> but they had just, Joel had just beaten Jokic. They literally were all there with Kevin Hart and Michael Rubin and and all of those people. 
I, I don't know. It it felt like they didn't treat the game with the the seriousness that they uh, they needed to. I I will say after that game was over, we talk about Joel. You know how he's usually, you know, grouchy after losses. He's not in a good mood at all. He was fine after that yeah. loss. I think that was a very okay. It, it happens sometimes, and you know what they did with a little bit of three point Jedi defense. They they did get it back on uh, on Wednesday. So I don't know, man. Like it, it it almost came too easy to them. You know, they got up so early in that game that they just got so lazy with their passes. These pick sixes. I mean, they're. I, I guess the other issue with the athleticism that was really apparent in Monday's game is that they got smoked on the glass, and that's you know that's the issue. Like when they when they get stops and rebound, they're gonna be fine for the most part, but when when they don't rebound, like against a team like Orlando that just has the athleticism advantage, the skill advantage, they don't have really in any spot, maybe Boncaro against Tucker, definitely Boncaro against Tucker, but everywhere else, no. That's the only way you can lose to them, and they just did all of the, the bad things, the, the transition defense, the turnovers, but also the offensive rebounding. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that, that was you know one of those games where like, for the most part, I think it happens. They didn't shoot great from the perimeter. Only eleven thirty, only eleven of thirty from three point range. They had those turnovers, um, and when those two things happen, and they get killed on the glass, like their defense isn't frequently going to bail them out. And you know, are you going to lose too much sleep that a team that was really good at protecting the ball for most of January had an off night? A team that was scoring at will for the most part through most of January. Had a little bit of an off night, or at least not an exceptional night shooting from the perimeter. Not really. The larger concern to me wasn't the turnovers or the shooting or any of that. It's the the defense. And the defense was bad at points of that game against an Orlando team that really struggled to score in the half court. But I don't think it's necessarily anything new of a concern. It's sort of like when they were winning 20 out of 24, they were sort of, you know, winning in spite of their defense. And it sort of caught up to them when they had an off night. To me, that game wasn't too concerning. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic Plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. 
did you get a kick out of Embiid saying, we gave up on Fultz too early? <laughs> well, especially because they legitimately traded him for like one of his favorite players on the team. The pick that became uh, uh, Tyrese Maxey. Not sure you really want to make that trade, but uh, no, I, I think that I was think, mostly I think the just, Sixers did okay. I, yeah, I think not they did last okay. Night, if last night were all 82 games, I'll take Markel Fultz over Tyrese Maxey. Last <laughs> night isn't all 82 games. I, I, you know. I think Joe's just mostly like he wants to stick up for a, a guy he considers probably a little bit of a friend um, or at least a, a younger brother type. Um, I don't read too much into that. <sighs> yeah, I, I guess my only thought in it, on that is that he loves trolling Colangelo for those yeah. moves he made. That was not a Colangelo. It was a Colangelo pick. Yeah. Fultz pick, but the trade was an Elton one. So. Right. Right. And then trade was ended up being a good trade. <laughs> like, it was an awesome trade. Now, was it know, Elton's best trade? Well, Butler. it certainly wasn't Tobias. Butler could have been, but they, they let him walk. Butler no, that was, was actually his best a really trade. good trade. Yeah. Markel um, Voltz for, for Tyrese Maxey eventually. That's a, that's a nice sequence of events. I, I know that you got to get the pick right, and it might yeah. not always be that easy, but. That's pretty well, and, nice. And, and like it's I don't like to look at them that way too much because there were probably easier ways or other ways you could have gotten that 21st overall pick or a pick to select Tyrese Maxey. It didn't have to be the 21st pick. I would typically look at it like did you sell low on on Markel? Yes. You just happened to hit not like a single or a double or a triple with that 21st pick. You hit a home run with that pick. So it looks a lot more lopsided than maybe it otherwise would have. But give them a lot of credit. It ended up you know they're they're definitely in a way better spot because they made that that trade. Let's put it that way. Put it that way. But so we yeah, don't need I, to I don't, relitigate the Markel Fultz era because that can get depressing real quickly. It can. I mean, this was another point that got brought up to us in uh, last night's game. I don't know if, if it was Kyle or somebody else. Markel Fultz is better than Ben Simmons right now. <laughs> the hell, <laughs> which is depressing on two different levels because it's not like Markel Fultz is a you know, fantastic, easy fit right now. No. It's just the other guy has gone way backwards. One of them he never is. learned how to shoot and the other one forgot. It's a crazy fucking world. Crazy yeah. world. The, the one thing I will give Markel credit for and against the better player who he got traded for, you could see it, especially because he has that height advantage against him. Man, he moves like a gazelle in the yeah, open court. It's he really is. What a fluid athlete. And I think... It's real easy he, to remember why you loved him so much coming out of Washington. Yeah. It's real easy. It's real easy. Brett used to always talk about how his how his arms. He, he basically had he like, would unfurl his arms. Unfurl he would say, him. "Yeah, he has seven I foot mean, wingspan, right?" Yeah, yeah. So you know he's he's going to play in the league for a long time. He might never be on a good team, but I'm not worried about him sticking around in the league. The uh, the other guy, a little bit more so, I, I guess. The uh, yeah, I don't know. He's just a, a really really good athlete, and yes, when he could shoot. That's a dynamite player. And a pretty good passer, too. And the combination of those two, especially if you have a mid-range hezzy pull-up Jimbo. Oh. oh, man. I love that kid coming out of college. I think at one point I said, this might have been one of my dumbest things, although I, it's hard to say because it's gone in so many different ways. I think I said Ben Simmons had more upside, but Markel Fultz had the higher floor, <laughs> which then Markel forgot how to shoot completely was barely an NBA player and now has worked himself back into being a contributor. It's been a wild journey, but there was a lot to like about that overall skill set. A lot to like. Unfortunately, that was his first game in Philly since the trade too. So he's also been super banged up. So yeah, I will, uh, 
I will take Tyrese Maxey, who stunk last night, and run with him. So it's, uh, you know, overall, I think it was a little bit of a frustrating couple of games. Yeah. But also, I'm not getting too worked up over him. You know, I think you look at it and you say, yeah, he probably deserved a split. It seemed like the Magic took it. I think the Magic also took it more seriously. Like, that's a team that clearly has played better as Markel, as Cole Anthony, as Suggs. Like, the Sixers smoked that team when they didn't have any guard play back in uh, in a two-game series without Embiid, Harden, and, and Maxi. So they've clearly become a different team. They absolutely own the Boston Celtics as well, so it's not like just that the Sixers have uh, have trouble with them. But you could even see on their bench, like, Jamal Mosley, you should feel pretty good about. Like, that. that is like a young, energetic team. They're clearly, mm-hmm. you know, cheering for each other and kind of I don't know. It seems like they're emphasizing the right things. They're emphasizing process over results, like especially like guys miss shots, but they're hustling. Like the, those things seem like they're getting pointed out, and so that's what happened. And the Sixers are a team that wants to play in June, and sometimes playing those teams in mid-January sucks. It's not fun. So yeah. that, that's what. And happened. like they're really young. Like what's Boncaro? Like twenty. Wagner's like twenty-one. I think Suggs is right there. Like they're a young core. They have a lot of even someone like Markel. You look up; he's only twenty four. Like he's not like an old player. He's just been around for a while. They've got a lot of youth, a lot of room to grow, a lot of picks coming in. They have a to to sort of like steal a phrase. They have a lot of optionality going forward, and it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how they rearrange that team. Not all of their players will be there when they are good, but I think they will eventually be good as a team. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah. I, I definitely I agree think with in you. a couple of years they're yeah. gonna be good. They, 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 have, yeah, they have those picks. Yep. This wasn't like a, a great two-game set for the Sixers. They didn't play at their highest of levels. Grabbing a split, like they didn't exactly lose a lot of ground either when you've just gone 20 and 4 over the last month and a half. A little bit of a letdown is somewhat expected, or at least understandable. Uh, and now we will see what they do here as they go out on the road. They won't be tested right away. They have uh, the Spurs in San Antonio. And then they have the Knicks in New York. So we will, it'll be a little bit before they really get tested, but it's coming up soon. It's coming up soon. They, uh, I will say they do have Spurs and Rockets losses on the ledger. They do. This, That's true. This year. That's true. That's a fair a weird point. one. The Spurs loss came when the Phillies were playing like game four of the NLCS. So yeah, we didn't really care. We barely talked about a more Sixers podcast. I, I remember watching that Phillies game afterwards. I went to a, an establishment afterwards to watch that game and which was an awesome game. Phil's hit a bunch of home runs, came back, you know, after the, somebody had a tough start in that game, whatever. And and there was a bunch of people who just said, they're going to fire doc. And then I said, probably not. And they just said, all right, let's watch the Phil's. <laughs> the only thing people cared about with the Sixers at that time of the year. And quite frankly, now with the, uh, with the Eagles, not a whole lot of interest in the Sixers either, but it's coming up shortly. Eagles season will end one way or the other. We all hope one specific way, but either way it will end. And the Sixers will be right smack dab in the middle of a really tough stretch of play. We've even got a couple here against the, we've got one against the Celtics here coming up, which at least that will be a good, another one against the Knicks. Katie two against the Knicks. Yeah. Well, two against the Knicks. I actually meant the Nets. I just can't speak. Um, we'll see how, how many players are there for that game. And then Memphis, there's there's a lot of really good games coming up. Not Cleveland just game that. coming up too. 
before not the just Oscar that break. crazy schedule in March, but even even the latter half of February, largely at the Wells Fargo Center, there are some good games coming up. So I, I'm interested to see, excited to see how that is. All right, so I think uh, I think that will probably be just about enough here for this one. We'll keep this short and sweet. Next podcast will probably be a little bit of trade deadline talk and speculation because not so much you can take from a game against the San Antonio Spurs. Although, like Slop. you pointed out, they did they did beat the Sixers earlier this year. So who freaking knows? Uh, but the main storyline there is not what happens on the court, but who is sitting there on the sidelines for the Spurs. And you can only talk about that so much. We'll start our trade deadline chatter in earnest there in the next podcast. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.